The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. This episode of Check the Locks is brought to you by our friends at Audible. Audible is your one-stop shop for audio entertainment where you can always find the best of what you love or discover something new. That's right. Audible offers an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre, from mysteries, thrillers, biographies, and of course, true crime. And as an Audible member, you can choose one title a month from their catalog to keep forever, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. Audible members also get access to thousands of podcasts from popular favorites, exclusive new series, and this very podcast you're listening to now. Plus, the Audible app makes it easy to listen anytime, anywhere. While traveling, working out, walking the dog, doing chores, Audible makes listening anywhere easy. And best of all, Check the Locks listeners can try Audible for free for 30 days. So head over to audibletrial.com slash check the locks or click the link in the show notes to start enjoying Audible today. Warning, Check the Locks podcast is a true crime podcast and may contain graphic descriptions of violence, murder, sexual assault, and more. Check the Locks podcast is not appropriate for all listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised. to check the locks podcast as always i'm john connor i'm olivia cornu saying thank you for joining us this week as we dive into yet another truly terrifying true crime case before we begin as always olivia it's wonderful to see you how are you how was your valentine's day my valentine's day was okay i didn't have a valentine this year but more importantly how was your birthday my birthday was really good. We got some rain here in Nashville, but some close friends of mine, some people that I really care about, we all got together at a restaurant in downtown Nashville called Emmy Squared, uh, which is in an area downtown called the Gulch. It is fancy Detroit style pizza, which if you know me, you know, that is one of the closest things to my heart. It's my favorite food. I could eat it every single day, but I got to celebrate with some people that I really cared about. And then for Kara's birthday, we had friends over and we did a poker game. So it was just a chance for people to get together and steal some of each other's money and stuff like that. But just a great way to eat good food and hang out with people that we care about and stuff like that. And and Valentine's Day, like normal, is always good. I get Kara like a regular size bouquet of flowers and chocolates and stuff like that. And then I get a, a Millie size. So I get a little small bouquet. I put it in a smaller vase and I get her a little kid's box of chocolates and a card and stuff like that. So they have matching and she's been carrying around those flowers everywhere she goes because she said that they make her feel fancy. So, oh, that is so sweet and so cute. Yeah. So it was a good week. I know you said you didn't have a Valentine, but did you do anything? Did you hang out with anybody? What, what were you up to? 
my Valentine's Day was really just low key and I am mistaken. I did have a Valentine this year. It was my mom. She sent me some little Venmo so that I could have a nice little cup of coffee and lunch. So shout out to mom for coming in as the real Valentine's Day MVP. But no, it was just a low key day. It was a work day, busy. So yeah, that is very sweet. Moms always tend to come through when it's the most important. So shout out to the moms out there. And I know my mom does not listen to this because she does not like true crime, but she's pretty rad. But <laughs> I'm with you, though. I had to work Valentine's Day as well. And surprisingly, we were very slow at my day job because I thought we'd get a lot of people who were maybe like jaded that they didn't have Valentine's Day or just grumpy, but everybody was in a good mood and didn't really have to deal with anybody too terrible. So I was thankful about that. But I like how you called your job your day job because this is our this is our night job. It is. It is my day job. And I like to talk about my day job as little as possible here because (laughs) (laughs) this is what I enjoy doing. But. Let's not hold off any longer. This is your week. Talk to me a little bit about the case that you're bringing. What are we going to be diving into this week? Well, we're going on over to Texas. I don't think we've done one from Texas since the Texas Candyman, if I recall correctly. I don't think so, but I don't think Texas. So. I got to get my good country accent going. You know, I'm on a good foot. Do the bad thing. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> Well, awesome. I am super excited to hear about it. Uh, You sent me the notes. It definitely looks interesting. I took a little peek again. I try not to read the whole thing because I don't want to spoil it for myself. But I have to tell you, I don't think I've heard about this one before. And that always makes me super interested to dive into it. So what do you say? Should we just hop in? Yeah, let's get started. Awesome. On October 15, 1985, Donald McKay was driving his semi through Texas, just 14 miles north of Amarillo. Along the way, he made a stop on the side of Highway 87 near the Canadian River Bridge to use the bathroom. As he was walking through the brush, he stumbled upon a lifeless naked woman. The woman's hands and feet were bound together with duct tape. She had a man's tie knotted tightly around her neck almost to the point of decapitation. He quickly notified the police. A fingerprint comparison identified the victim as 20-year-old Gail Lenore Smith. Smith was working as a cocktail waitress at a bar in Fort Worth, Texas, and was known to hitch rides from truckers in the past. She had told family she did it often as she felt safe with the truck drivers. And remember, hitchhiking was kind of more common at this point in time, back in the 70s and 80s. Yeah, I remember that from the Texas Candyman episode, where in the 70s and 80s, because I believe that killer's first victim was a hitchhiker. And it was just much more of an acceptable way to get around town. I think Jeffrey Dahmer's first victim was a hitchhiker as well. So it's you know good that it's not something that we do anymore. But I think for a very long time, it was a very acceptable way to kind of get around. Yeah, I don't think that I could ever hitchhike. I just don't think that in this day and age, definitely not doing it. But I guess maybe back in the day, if you didn't have a car and cars weren't as readily available, I could see hitchhiking being, you know, the way to get around. Yeah, I think people were just more trusting back then. I think we know way more about how dangerous people can be now than we did back then. You know, and there's so many like Dateline stories and stuff like that about like she was hitchhiking to try to get to California and met her untimely demise. But keep going. I want to know more. Smith's family was notified of her death and interviewed. Police learned what could be clues pointing straight to their killer. Her stepbrother and sister-in-law told investigators that Gail asked for a ride to the closest truck stop. She was in desperate need to get to Amarillo to visit her mother. She planned to hitchhike with a trucker headed out west. Her family told detectives they dropped her off on October 14th around 4 p.m. The pair said they waited around to see what truck Gail would get into just as a safety measure. It was a red Peterbilt with Jewett Scott truck line, Magnum, Oklahoma, printed on the side. 
They were also able to catch a glimpse of the driver. The pair didn't know it at that moment, but this would be the last time they would see Gail alive. Autopsy results proved that Gail had been orally and anally raped, bound, beaten with a blunt instrument, and strangled to death. With this information, police contacted Jewett Scott Truckline and found that the semi was being driven by a man named Benjamin Herbert Boyle. Police reviewed all the schedules for the truckers and found that Boyle was the only driver in that area on October 14th. Authorities were able to track down the truck and Boyle. So, John, what are you kind of thinking so far? Well, it's just kind of crazy because I know that there is kind of a history of serial killers getting into the trucking profession or being involved with the trucking profession because you are by yourself. It's easy to pick somebody up. It's easy to dispose of somebody or something like that. So it's very interesting that this particular case would involve a truck driver. And I'm sure as we go through and do more episodes, that is probably going to be something that we see a little more frequently. But it's just so sad to think that members of her family dropped her off to hitchhike with this trucker and literally delivered her to the person who would murder her. You know, that was the part I think that really stuck in with me. And I'm glad that they were smart enough or had the wherewithal to pay attention to what was on the truck and try to get a description of them. I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit more as we go through. But I'm really interested to find out more about whether there's any victims and also more about who this guy is, because I've never heard of him before. But it sounds like there may be more under his belt than perhaps this one killing. Let's take a minute and talk about the background of Benjamin Herbert Boyle. He was born on July 22nd, 1943, and he actually served time in the military from August 1960 to 1963 and was discharged from the military while he was living in Indiana. After his time in the service, he owned an auto body shop in Colorado and stayed there until 1980. Boyle would later move to Las Vegas and worked at a local body shop, but only stayed in the area for about a year before he moved to Oklahoma. He began working as a truck driver and drove for many different companies throughout the years. He did both local and cross-country hauls. He lived in various towns throughout Oklahoma, Louisiana, and Texas. Now that police had a suspect, it was time to put out a bolo. Police found the red Peterbilt truck in Diebold, Texas. Boyle was set to pick up a load at the Temple Industries. Detectives had already received consent from the trucking company to search the vehicle. Gail Smith's family was able to give police a generic description of who they saw with Gail at the truck stop. Once they approached 42-year-old Benjamin Boyle, they knew he had to be their guy. Boyle, too, gave consent to search his truck. He later told police that he did give a ride to Gail. He stated that he dropped her off alive in Wichita Falls near the Texas-Oklahoma border. He was certain that if she died near Amarillo, someone else was at fault. At this point, police had detailed information about the evidence found on Smith's body. In the cab of Boyle's truck, police found hairs from the head and pubic area, several sets of bedding, a roll of duct tape, and blood stains in the sleeper area of the truck. Investigators sent all the evidence off to the Washington, D.C. crime lab for testing. FBI analysis would reveal an identical match in the fibers from Boyle's truck to the fibers found on Gail's body. Further evidence mostly solidified to police that Benjamin Boyle tortured and murdered 20-year-old Gail Lenore Smith. Evidence comparison now had matching fingerprints of Boyle to the prints found on the duct tape attached to Smith's body. Fibers and hairs found in Boyle's truck belonged to Gail Smith. Also, the blood found on the sheets was Smith's blood type. Benjamin Herbert Boyle was arrested and indicted for capital murder during the course of committing or attempting to commit aggravated sexual assault and capital murder during the course of kidnapping. 
Boyle gave a written statement on October 19, 1985, that said, My name is Benjamin Herbert Boyle. I am 42 years old. My date of birth is 7-22-43. I was born in Hobart, Oklahoma. I work for Jewett Scott Trucking Company. On Monday, October 14, 1985, I was sitting in my truck on US 287 near the Hammond Road exit when a girl came up to my truck and asked me if I was going to Amarillo. I told her, yeah, I was going towards Amarillo. I told her I would give her a ride. Sergeant Yerger showed me a photograph and told me the photograph was of Gail Smith. The girl in the photo is the same girl I picked up. While riding in my truck, the girl set her purse in the boot of the sleeper and it fell out. I later found a lighter, a pack of cigarettes, and a makeup brush in my truck. I put all these items in a catch-all things on the dashboard. I let Gail out at the Jolly Truck Stop south of Wichita Falls, Texas, about 7 or so on Monday night. I never saw her again. I never had sex with the girl. Boyle ultimately entered a plea of not guilty. He was tried in court in October of 1986, and the prosecution had strong physical evidence against him. The prosecution was able to link Boyle to the murder of Gail Smith, thus prompting a guilty verdict from the jury. The jury found Benjamin Boyle guilty on all counts and was sentenced to death. The Texas Court of Criminal Appeals filed an automatic appeal to reverse Boyle's conviction, stating that his arrest had been unlawful and that the evidence obtained was in violation of his constitutional rights. The defense claimed that there was not appropriate consent to search Boyle's truck back on October 17, 1985. However, the state was able to have Boyle's conviction and sentence reinstated on the premise that the consent provided by the Jewett Scott Trucking Company was constitutionally adequate. Boyle and his defense continued to appeal his conviction at every level. All were denied, including Boyle's appeal to the Supreme Court, which found the conviction to be legitimate on August 16, 1996. Part of the court's ruling included the following. After carefully reviewing the record, we cannot say that Boyle has presented evidence sufficient to overcome the presumption of correctness owed state habeas court findings of fact. Benjamin Herbert Boyle died by lethal injection on April 22, 1997. And what was interesting enough is that during the investigation of Gail Smith, police were able to review all of Boyle's travel records. He was linked to a rape in Canyon City, Colorado, where the victim was able to identify him in a photo lineup. And he was also linked to a homicide of a Jane Doe in Truckee, California on June 21, 1985. This Jane Doe was also bound with duct tape in the same manner as Gail Smith. So that's all I got for this week, John. And, you know, that's really interesting because that was my question, right? It's someone with this kind of behavior doesn't do something once and they typically don't do something once and it ends in murder. There is a buildup of activity, you know, and it's just typical with serial killers. You start somewhere and it kind of escalates, escalates. So as we were going through, we're talking about the sentencing. I was kind of like, there's no way that he's only done this once. So knowing that he was tied to other cases and that someone was able to pick him out from a photo lineup, I was like, okay, there it is. There's that missing piece. But this story is really interesting. You know, like I said, it's, it's really kind of scary to think about how many truck drivers and semi trucks you see on the road when you're driving, you know, and because there are so many stories, a lot of times I see them like, man, what are the odds? Like, I really want to know, like, what are the odds that somebody in one of these trucks is doing something terrible? You know what I mean? I travel back and forth to my my hometown from New Orleans a lot. And, you know, I'm always having to stop and take the dog out to go to the bathroom on these trips. And I end up, you know, at truck stops and things like that, because there's usually that's all that's around in the middle of nowhere. 
Louisiana. So I find that I'm always like surveying what's happening where all the 18 wheelers are parked and like just always keeping an eye out. And I guess because there's always just in the back of your mind, like you've heard of things of like truck drivers who do these murders on their long hauls or, you know, use drugs along the way, things like that. And so I'm always just kind of paranoid of who you might see. I completely get what you're saying. I do want to preface this just by saying that I know that the majority of people who are truck drivers are good, hardworking people. I have friends, family who have driven trucks and, you know, do the long hauls or local deliveries and stuff like that. And it's a hard job. And there's a lot of people who work very hard at doing it. I also think something about that job attracts transient type of people who don't want to put down roots and makes it easier for them to be in one place to another. And I was thinking a lot about that as well when you're talking about Boyle's history and all the places that he had lived and how he would be in one place for a little bit. I think you said he was in Vegas for like less than a year and then move someplace else. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a behavior that you tend to see with a lot of serial killers. It's, you know, we're very on the move, not setting roots down. So, but I am a hundred percent with you, especially now that we have a kid, whenever we are driving to Michigan to visit family, whenever we stop at a truck stop, I am always like, who is in this lot? Not so much for me, but I'm watching my wife. I'm watching my daughter, anybody who may be around because you just never know, you know, it's a a scary Mm -hmm. situation. Yeah. Well, what do you say we jump on into the deadbolt test? What are you giving this episode? You know, for me, I'd probably give this like a four. I'm not someone who hitchhikes. I'm not somebody who has ever even thought about hitchhiking. I think I've talked about it before, but I think the closest I've come is I got into a fight with my mom when I was very young. You were like 12 and you ran away or whatever. Yeah, I was (laughs) younger than 12. I can guarantee you that because I put everything I owned in a wagon or everything I like quote owned in a wagon. And it was a neighbor who was like, what are you doing? Go home. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's right. But I'm not somebody who would hitchhike. I'm not worried about like my wife hitchhiking. I'm not worried about you hitchhiking. I think I would give it a four just because of the fact that, you know, like you said, you could be at a truck stop just like anywhere else. And someone decides like, I'm going to take you. That's where it comes in. But this isn't anything I really am worried about happening to me or anybody in my family per se. So I'm going to put it at a four, but I think it was really interesting. Even if I scale something low in the deadbolt test. I still really like these interesting stories. And again, I've never heard of this. So it was like, oh, I'm learning something new today. So it was really good. What about you? Where are you putting it? Yeah, I'm going to put this about a six. And that's only because I do have this in the back of my mind as kind of a fear of being at that truck stop in the middle of Louisiana. I'm pretty sure every time I do stop, I'm like, I'm stopping mom. Make sure my car's moving. My little dot's moving in the next 20 minutes. But yeah, about a six. I also found this case to be interesting in a fact that it was in my hunting humans murder encyclopedia that I borrowed from my friend. And I guess I just thought that more cases in that book would be more detailed, I guess. But overall, I think the thought of someone getting basically taken you know, she said she trusted the the truck drivers and she liked riding with them. And at the time, hitchhiking was a thing. But I see this as more of like a kidnapping, you know, and they did charge him with kidnapping. And so that that aspect of it does terrify me a little bit. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I know back then, you know, it was just a common way a lot of people chose to see the country. You know, they'd be like, again, I don't have any roots. You know, the same way that transient people are kind of drawn to jobs like truck driving and stuff like that, like transient people are kind of drawn to hitchhiking because like, I don't want to set down roots. I want to be able to just go wherever, whenever, you know, but I'm with you. It's that idea of, I think I'm safe and then I'm taken and I don't even realize it. You know, this was a good one. I think you brought a, a, a really good case for us this week and hopefully the listeners find it as interesting as I did. 
Well, that is where we fall on the dead bull test for this week's episode. I'm going to be putting it at a four. Olivia's coming in a strong six. But as always, we want to know where does the murderous truck driver, Benjamin Boyle, fall on your dead bull test? You can let us know. Reach out to us on Instagram at Check the Locks Pod. Find us on Twitter at Check the Locks. And if you are not in our Facebook group, do yourself a favor, come hang out with us. It's been awesome. We've been getting a couple new people joining like every day. It's been awesome to see it grow. Just, I don't know. I I feel like every week I just gush on this Facebook group and the people that are in it. And it's just because I just enjoy it so much. It's such a positive part of my life. And I know you feel the same way, Olivia. So if you're not in our Facebook group, come hang out with us. We would love to have you. I don't know about you. My wheels are spinning. I would love to have a five-star review. You got one for me? You're so punny, John. I think I tell you this every week. But yes, I do have a five-star review. This week's five-star review comes from Smomom VLS. They said, I love this podcast and look forward to listening every Monday. So thank you, Smomom VLS, for leaving us a five-star review. Reach out. Let us know who you are so that we can send you some cool swag. Yes, and I think I might know who this person is. And if I'm right, I'm very, very happy about that. But Smo Mom, thank you for taking the time to leave us that five-star review. Thank you for listening to the show every week. We honestly and truly really appreciate it. It means more than you would ever know. So really do appreciate it. Like Olivia said, we would love to send you. We got stickers. We got buttons. We got keychains. We got all sorts of stuff. Would love to get you some goodies just for taking the time out of your day to leave us that review. And Olivia, if somebody wants to have their five-star review read on the show, what's the best way to do that? Well, they need to hop on over to the Apple Podcast app, go to our show's homepage, scroll all the way where you see all five stars, click all five stars, leave us a little review, a little comment, tell us what you think about Check the Locks. That's right. And again, I know I talk about this every week, but these reviews really help us. They get us into other shows, recommendations. They help new people find the show. It helps our community to grow. So if you've left us a review, thank you so much for doing that. Again, it means more to us than we could put into words. And if you haven't left us a review, what better time than now? You can actually head over to Apple Podcasts or go into the episode description for the episode you're listening to right now. And there's a link that you can click. Also, don't forget to check out checkthelockspod.com and leave us a voicemail. We would love to hear from you. Love to hear your voice, what you think of the show, what you've thought of the cases. Did we miss anything? We want to hear from you. So leave us a review. Leave us a voicemail. We definitely want to hear what you have to say. And if you want to help financially support Check the Locks, the best way to do that is to become a patron. You can head over to patreon.com forward slash check the locks and sign up today. We got tons of great tiers. You can get stickers, coffee mugs, exclusive t-shirts, all for being part of our patron family. So if you do want to financially support us, you want to help us keep the lights on, that is the best way to do that. And if you can't financially support us, that definitely makes sense. We completely understand. Just listening to the show, sharing it with the people that you care about every week helps us just as much, if not more. So again, if you are tuning in every week, you're listening, you're letting your friends know about us, thank you from the bottom of our hearts because that is the way that we are going to get the word out. That is the way that we're going to continue to grow and to just strengthen the community. So really, really appreciate it. That is all that we have for this week's episode. Please remember to subscribe to Check the Locks on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. We will see you next week with a brand new, truly terrifying true crime case. But until then, don't forget to check the locks. We'll see you next week.